Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We are tonight in Hebrews again, Hebrews chapter 11, not on purpose, but it just happens to be where the text is for our Bible study. I mean, it is on purpose, but we're not going through Hebrews 11 right now. Um, But we're in Hebrews chapter 11. If you need a Bible, just get the attention of one of the ushers. They're making their way so that you can follow along with us in our study. We're going to read just a couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 11. Then I'm going to pray and we're going to get into our message uh, tonight. So Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8. The Bible says that by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles or tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so, Father, we just come to you tonight, Lord, and we thank you, Father, that you're here in this place. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word and that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you we can build our lives upon the foundation of your truth and on the person of your Son and and on the cross of Christ and the forgiveness that he's provided for us. And we ask that tonight, Lord, that you would speak to us specifically, that you would speak to us clearly. We open up our hearts to you, Lord, and we pray that your spirit would soften us, that you would give us the sensitivity to hear what you want to say. Open up our eyes to the things in our life, the things inside of us, the things going on around us, and help us, Lord, to walk a straight path in this time. We pray, Lord, that you would speak so clearly to us tonight. We invite you to do so now through your word. We thank you for the gift of your church. Thank you for the gift of your word and of your Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would use it, use us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there are, there is much these days talk about the essentials, you know, people wanting to make sure that they're stocked up on the essentials. And usually when we talk about essentials, uh, we're thinking of the base needs of humanity, things like uh, food and water and shelter, you know, those primal things that, that we need to secure in order to survive. Those are essential things. Um, I think in our context, we, we have a much broader definition of essential. You know, for me, you know, Walmart is essential. BJ's is essential. Coffee is essential. You know, there are a list of essential things, you know. But in the invisible realm and in the things that maybe aren't so tangible or that you can go and buy at the store, there are a couple things that absolutely are tangible or I mean essential, uh, especially for the Christian. And last week, uh, we, we began looking at it. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, uh, the apostle Paul said, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these, of course, being love. But I would argue and the Bible would assert that these are absolutely essentials when it comes to our survival as Christians. Uh, Certainly for us to thrive as Christians, these are essential things that they be a part of our life, faith, hope, and love. I know for me, one of the great essentials is hope. I need 
hope in my life, uh, it is an essential. I often will say to my wife at certain times, I'll say, I need help right now, pray for me, because my hope tank is low, (laughs) you know, but hope is an enduring theme throughout the scripture. The word itself means something. Hope means the absolute expectation of coming good. That's what hope is, that there's an expectation inside of me that something good is coming. And when I don't have hope, or when hope is failing, or when hope is absent, things are not good. It has been said before that man or human can go 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but not four seconds without hope. And I know that that's exaggerated to make a point, but there's a truth tucked in there somewhere. Hope is that important. Anytime that there's an absence of hope, then right around the corner, there's probably some failure. There's probably some issue. There's some tragedy. Something bad is coming when hope fails. There was a study done by a group of scientists And what they did is they took an ordinary lab rat and they immersed it into a bucket of water where it was not able to get itself out from from the water. And they wanted to see how long it would survive treading water. And so they uh, cruelly let this uh, rat just swim in this water. And the rat lasted an amazing 24 hours or just under 24 hours before its strength gave out and it was overcome by the flood. Well, they didn't want to harm any laboratory animals in the uh, conducting of this experiment. So at that moment, they rescued this rat uh, from the water and they resuscitated him and brought him back to full health. Well, they wanted to repeat the experiment now that they had rescued this rat and they wanted to see how long it would survive the second time. And so they put the rat back in the water after it was fully restored fully healed. And guess how long this time the rat was able to swim for? 38 days. (laughs) And obviously, you know, the conclusion that they came to uh, out of this study was that, you know, a lab rat increases its strength by 3,800% in a single workout by training to failure. God bless you if you got that and you thought that was funny, you know. (laughs) No, that's what a scientist probably would come to the conclusion of. (laughs) But really, but really, the, the conclusion is that when there is hope present in an equation, then the amount of endurance is multiplied exponentially. When there is no hope, strength fails quickly. When there is the presence of hope, there is the ability to endure very long in unbearable circumstances. We see what an absence of hope does. When we look in the pages of scripture, we see that it was an absence of hope that caused Abraham to go to Egypt in a time of famine. His hope faltered and he fled. We see that it was an absence of hope that caused Peter to deny Christ in the moment when he was put to the fire and Jesus was going to the cross. Peter's faith didn't fail. Jesus said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. It wasn't his faith that failed. It was Peter's hope that failed. And thus Peter denied the Lord and he checked out for a season. And anytime hope 
fails in a person's life, there will be quitting, running, probably an addiction, perhaps suicide, the onset of mental illness, or at very least, there will be major mistakes made in a life where hope begins to fail. Hope is essential for survival, which by the way, is why the church is essential. We talk about things that are essential and non-essential. Hope is essential, and that is our product. It is what we have. Jesus gives us hope, and hope is what we need, especially in times like this. Now, we're in a series. It's called Decisionaries. It's about people that are able to see something that's invisible and then make a decision to frame their lives upon the foundation of that unseen thing. And so last week we talked about faith, and we looked at Abel, we looked at Enoch, and we looked at how faith in their life, something they could see, caused them to decide to live their lives a certain way, and it produced a certain outcome. Tonight we're going to look at another decisionary, we're going to look at Abraham, a man who, yes, he's defined by faith, but he is also a man who is clearly in the Bible defined by hope. Now, Faith, we know, we looked at it last time, faith has a cousin, and faith also has an immediate byproduct, and that is hope. And interestingly, hope is actually in the definition of faith. Remember Hebrews 11.1, it'll shoot up on the screen and behind my head. Hebrews 11.1, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, so hope is in the very definition, the absolute expectation of coming good. And so what does faith have to do with hope? Here's what it is, is that hope is what faith looks like once it has been declared. Or to say it another way, is that if faith is the engine that moves my life, hope is the fuel that causes the engine to move. So the two things go together. They're very closely related. Now, interestingly, concerning Abraham and a man who certainly is defined by hope, we look at his life and here's what we conclude about Abraham the man. We see that he was one of the greatest men that ever lived. Abraham was a man that accomplished more in his life probably than any other man aside, of course, from Jesus Christ, who we can't really include because he was the God-man. But someone who was not God, there isn't among them one that accomplished more or had a more lasting legacy or who affected more lives in the ripple effect of generations than the man Abraham. And not only all of that, but Abraham lived a long life and he died satisfied. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good resume. That's a pretty good legacy. If I could have that, that if my life could be one that affects more people than anyone else, and if I could accomplish more in my lifetime than anyone else, and if I could have a ripple effect that lasts forever and live a long life and die satisfied, I'm good with that. That's a win. That's a big win, and I think we probably all would agree. Now, here's why Abraham was such a man of hope in this whole concept of a man who was a decisionary, and that's this, is that even though he did what he did and died how he died, Abraham saw none of those things that he hoped for while he was yet alive in the world. 
And that is why we use Abraham as our subject matter when we talk about this whole idea of hope. Because hope is the absolute expectation of good that is coming. It has not come yet. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 24 says that very clearly. It says this. It says that we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we do with patience wait for it. And so by very definition, hope has not yet obtained the thing that it is hoping for. And that is exactly what happened in Abraham's life. Abraham lived according to a hope for something that he never yet saw while he was walking the physical earth. And yet, with just the presence of the hope, never experiencing the good that was to come, He still accomplished more, was more productive, lived a long life, and died satisfied. That's what hope does. Hope is an extremely powerful thing, but it begs a question for you and I. And the question is this, is how is it possible to become a person who contributes more, accomplishes more, and is one of the greatest ever, who lives long and dies satisfied, and yet never receiving or experiencing the thing that you're actually hoping for? How is that practically possible in the life of a regular person today? And so I want to look at Abraham and I want to look at our lives through the lens of his experience, the decision that he made to hope and pray that God would give us the revelation and the ability to choose for ourselves that we're going to live by hope that we're going to take this freely available resource that's given to us by God, provided to us in God, and that we're going to live according to it and experience the same outcome that it will produce in any life that is given to it. Look at Abraham. It's our text, Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 8. Watch what it says here. It says that by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out not knowing where he went. The first thing that it tells us there, it tells us that Abraham was called to go out. He was called to go out. And so that's the first question you ask is where was Abraham called to go out of? And the answer was a province of Babylon called Ur, you are Ur, of the Chaldees, or the Babylonian province of Ur. That was the city of Abraham's nativity, or at least of his residence, at the time that God met him. We're told in the text in Genesis that he was 75 years old in the moment that God met him. Now, before you think, well, he was an aged man, he lived to be 165. So if we're going to, like, kind of, you know, use the law of inflation and deflation on ages... That makes him, according to the standard of our lifespan, about 37, 38 years old. That's kind of proportionally about where Abraham was in the span of his lifetime. Okay, so picture yourself in that, that age, 35, 40 years old, and God comes and meets with you where you are in Ur, and he says, get out. Now, what was Ur? What was the lifestyle like in Ur of the Chaldees? Well, it was marked by a couple of great things. Number one, it had an excellent climate. It would be like living in a Caribbean paradise. 
It was also a place of comfort. All of the luxuries of Abraham's modern world were invented and were prolific in Ur of the Chaldees. It was the, 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 the kind of the birthplace of the steam bath or the hot tub. You know, it was an amazing place of luxury. It was also uh, marked with riches. There was cash in Ur of the Chaldees. It was a very wealthy place to live, and it was a place of class. It was upper class. It was upscale. Now, Abraham, in that environment, he was experiencing all of those things. The Bible tells us that Abraham was very rich, that he was overloaded with silver and with gold. We know that not long after he left Ur of the Chaldees, he had in his company, at least 318 employees that were traveling with him. This was no small guy. Even while he was there, yet in Ur, he was a man of experience. He had money, he had clout, he had a large company. Nevertheless, in that place of Ur, and in that situation that he was in, there was something that was stirring in his heart. He was realizing that he had everything that the world could offer him, and yet he had nothing that would last or that was truly satisfying to him. He watched everyone else around him wanting to be him, and yet he realized that in himself, he wasn't satisfied with where he was. And that's an amazing gift when you can come to a place where you realize that you have everything you could ever want and it's not what you need or it isn't satisfying the deepest need that you have. You know, sometimes people think that the devil is resisting them or keeping them from achieving something because he doesn't want them to accomplish their goals. That's not true. The devil doesn't resist you and stop you from achieving and accomplishing goals because he doesn't want you to enjoy what you're chasing after. He does resist you and he does try to stop you, but not because, not because that's the right answer, getting what you want, but because once you achieve what it is that you're going after, that's when it causes you to ask the right questions. I've been chasing after this, but it didn't provide or produce in me what I thought that it would. Why not? Because when a person comes to that place that they begin to ask those questions, they are not far from discovering the real and true source of where satisfaction and life lies. That's exactly what happened to Abraham. He was so aware of the emptiness of his own condition, even in his prosperity, That when he heard the voice coming from another world that said, leave this place and go to a land that I will show you, he up and he left the situation, everything that he enjoyed there, everything that he had, and notice where he went. It says it in the verse. It says he went to a place which after he would receive for an inheritance and he didn't know where he went. Down in verse 13 of the same passage, it says that these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them and they embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What does that mean? It means that when Abraham left Ur, he did not know where he was going, what he was getting, or when he would get it. And that's remarkable. 
to leave that kind of a situation not knowing where you're going, what you're getting, or when it's going to come. That's an amazing step of faith to do. Now, it's an amazing step of faith, but it isn't totally uncommon. There are people that do it. They realize it's not happening for me here, even though it's happening, I'm going somewhere else. And sometimes we shake our heads a little bit and we go, wait, where are you going? People go, I don't know. Why are you going? I don't know. What are you going to get? I don't know. When is it going to happen? I don't know. And we just go, yeah, okay, I'm done with you. You know, some people do that, all right? So it isn't that Abraham did that that is the most remarkable thing in his life. What is remarkable in Abraham's life is what it says in verse 9. Notice Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. It says, by faith, he sojourned. Do you see those words right there? By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He went from Fifth Avenue... He went from the mansion into the tent and he stayed there. He didn't know where he was going, what he was getting, or when it was coming, but he stayed in it for a long time, not having an answer to any of those questions. When Abraham arrived in the land that God was leading him to, it happened to be some 500 miles from where he began. That's a long journey on foot or on camel, you know. And when he got there, things got worse for him than when he had first started out. Once he arrived, there was a great famine in the land. He ended up making a big mess of things and messing up his marriage, messing up his reputation, uh, kind of messing up his you know, company and, and his situation. He, things got worse for Abraham when he got there than, than, than when he started. Uh, a lot of time went by and, and him and Sarah passed their expiration date in that time. I mean, really, Abraham moved from 75 years old to 99 years old, and Sarah was 90 years old by the time God started to do what he had promised that he was going to do. And I want you to understand uh, very clearly that this was the case. Read uh, with me, or or you can see it up on the screen, but in Romans chapter 4, what verse did I give you? Can you put it up there? Romans 4. 18, that's where we start. It says this, concerning Abraham and Sarah, it says this, it says, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. And watch this. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, Sarah had already gone through the change of life. Abraham was at the point where it wasn't happening for him the way it had when he was a little bit younger of a man. And he realized that God had promised him that his heirs, the people that would come from him, would change the world. And yet they had passed the season of life where it was possible for them to even have kids. And you would think that Abraham would reassess You would think that, well, I don't know what I was hearing, but obviously I was hearing wrong because I've gotten past the time that the promise can even be fulfilled at this point. And so let's go back to Ur and think about again what might satisfy a life because obviously this God isn't coming through. No, 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 that's not what it says. It says in verse 19 that he was not weak in faith. 
verse 20, it says that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. That's called hope who against hope, meaning that there was no reason earthly for him to hope. But in spite of the fact that there was no earthly reason to hope, Abraham persisted in hope and he gave glory to God staying in the place. That's what's amazing about Abraham's life. It's not just that he went, but that he stayed for a long time not having received the promise. It wasn't his yet, it wasn't fulfilled yet, but he stayed in the place where it would be. It means that maybe his marriage wasn't blessed yet. And God said that I'm gonna bless it and it wasn't blessed yet, but he didn't quit. He didn't leave. He didn't go back and say, I'm not doing this anymore because it's not what I thought it would be. It means that maybe his mental health wasn't restored, that he read the promise that Jesus gave about my peace, I leave you, my peace, I give you. I will give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. It was a promise that was given, but it wasn't realized yet. And even though he went through that, he didn't leave and say, well, God promised he was going to restore me mentally, but he hasn't done it yet. So I'm going to go and try something else. I'm going to go do something else. No, he stayed in there. I've shared with you guys before that for years I struggled with depression and, and coming into the faith. I came into the faith and I struggled with depression. God didn't take it away the first day that I, I came to know him. And I used to read the promises of Jesus about the joy that he would give. And I could define joy. I could teach about joy. I knew what it meant. I knew what it looked like, but I didn't know what it was by experience. But I knew that there was nothing in the world that was ever going to fix the issue. And so I know you stay in there. You sojourn in the land of promise. You stay in the place where the promise can be fulfilled. And you allow hope to move you forward because what he promises, he is able to perform. You stay in there. It means that maybe his son, not Abraham because he didn't have one yet, but maybe someone else. It means that your son is maybe still struggling with an eating disorder. And you're waiting for God to intervene and to move into the situation. And it seems like he's not hearing your prayer. It seems like things aren't happening yet. But you don't quit and leave and say, I tried God and it didn't work. But hope says that what he promised, he's able to perform. That when he says that you will not bring forth children unto trouble, I'm going to believe him that he's going to come through in his season and in his time. It means that maybe you've come to Christ and you're still fighting cravings from old addictions. Things that you struggled with, that you longed for, and honestly, you still long for, even though you're not supposed to long for them anymore, and Jesus is supposed to be the one who fills all things. But hope means that you don't leave because that hasn't happened yet. It means that you sojourn or stay in the land of promise, the place where the promise will be fulfilled because you're fueled by hope. And this is what Abraham did. He led his family in the full persuasion that this promise of God would be fulfilled and it would be fulfilled. You say, well, how in the world did he do that? How do you maintain that mentality? Because that sounds really good. It's great preaching material. But when you put it into a real life, it becomes very difficult to live out. How is it done? Verse 10, Hebrews 11, verse 10. 
Here's how. And it starts with the word for. And for is a reason word. It says, for he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In other words, the source of Abraham's hope, the source that allowed him to have hope in spite of the fact that he had yet to experience the fullness of the promise, is that his eyes were not on the earthly fulfillment or the earthly satisfaction of receiving God's promise, but his eyes were for something that was greater, that was beyond the grave, and somehow he was able to apprehend and realize that the only place that satisfaction ever really will be enjoyed is in a city or in something that lasts forever that lasts forever, an eternal hope, not an earthly hope. I had to uh, replace my weed whacker. It was faithful to me for about nine years, and it was a good weed whacker, and I fixed things, and I got to the point where I could no longer keep my weed whacker going. And so I, I was shopping for a weed whacker, and I was having a discussion with a man in the shop about weed whackers, and, um, and, and so we were talking about the quality. It was a brand I hadn't really heard of all that much. And we were talking about good, better, best. You know, this one, will, this one will cut your grass for $200. This one will cut your grass for $400. This one will cut your grass for $600, you know. And, and I said, well, okay, what, what I'm really interested in uh, is I want the carburetor to not gum up <laughs> over time. That's what I'm interested in. Is there a difference in the carburetor between 200, 400, and 600? That's my main concern. And he said this to me, and he was for, of foreign descent, and he had a little bit of an accent. And he said, oh, he goes, you have to use, he said, you, ha- you should use the pre-mixed fuel. He goes, because the pre-mixed fuel that, you, that comes pre-mixed, it doesn't have any ethanol in it. It doesn't have any ethanol in it. You know, and, and he was, what he was trying to say is ethanol. You know, how you see, you see that on the, on the thing that, 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 you know, the thing, it says 10% ethanol or don't use anything more than 10% ethanol. You know, he's saying you don't want the, the, the ethanol. That's what does it. That absorbs the moisture and, and the moisture then is what gums up and ends up. And I, and I, I know this, but I, you know, I didn't want to talk all that long about it and, and, and the whole thing. But, but, the, but I started thinking about that. I thought, okay, okay, okay. The, the, the reason why the engine is getting gummed up is because the fuel has ethanol in it. Okay, listen, listen. If faith is the engine and hope is the fuel, then what can happen sometimes is that the engine of faith can get gummed up by faulty fuel. The, the fuel has too much ethanol in it. There's too much earth in all of it. There's too much earth in it. Do you understand? You see, if you're putting your hope in something on this earth, it's going to corrupt the fuel. It's going to jam up the carburetor and the engine of faith is going to stall out. And unfortunately, that's what happens all the time. See, Abraham knew a lot about earth and all. He lived in Ur of the Chaldees. He lived in a city that had earthly expressions and earthly experience and earthly ecstasies. The problem was that the city had no foundations. He sought for a city. Do you know what foundations are? Foundations are things that cause lastingness. 
When something has a foundation, it lasts. When there's a good foundation, you can build on it and it doesn't go away. But there, listen to me, there is nothing in this earth, nothing in this earth that lasts. Nothing. It all perishes. It all gums up. It all goes bad. All of it. That's why David said in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 15, he said this to God. He said, for we are strangers before you and sojourners. In other words, we are just passing through this earth. This is not our home. As were all of our fathers, our days on earth are as a shadow and there is nothing. None is nothing. There is nothing abiding. There is nothing in this world that lasts. It all wears out. I like how the NIV puts it. The NIV says this. It says that we're foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow, listen, without hope. It's supposed to go up on the screen. I'm reading it. You're not reading it, but I'm reading it. You could read it if you look back in the back, but it says without hope. Okay, do you see the connection? It's a good connection between hope and nothing lasting. Earthly hope doesn't last. Earth and all in the hope and your engine's gonna stall out. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna last. I remember there was a, a season of my life uh, way back. It's almost 20 years ago now. And I was saved. God saved me. He gave me a love for his word. He gave me a love for the church and for the ministry. Uh, just a, a passion for truth and for eternal things. And I really wanted to be a pastor. And I had this ambition in me that I wanted to be ordained. And, and, and half of that was good. Half of it was noble. Half of it was holy. It was, half of it was a calling from God. But there was another half of it that, that wanted to feel, you know, important. Like, that's an honor. You know, that's kind of cool. And I, I really wanted to feel the feeling of, of, of accomplishment, the feeling of, of having done it, having, having been recognized in the court of human opinion as, yes, you're a pastor and we're going to lay hands on you and the whole thing. And I really wanted, wanted that. And I remember when it finally came and I had the certificate with the raised seal and, and the whole thing. And I remember being like, yeah, I waited for this, you know, the whole thing. You know, I was like, I hoped for this. I hoped for this. I hoped for this. There was earth and all in the hope. <laughs> and I had no idea what I was hoping for. No idea. <laughs> you know, I thought, I thought that this, this is going to make me feel adequate. What I didn't understand. This is just the beginning of how, finding out how inadequate you actually are. You know, this is just the beginning of that. And I remember literally coming to a point sometime maybe five or 10 years after that moment when I was, wow, wow. I remember wanting to bury it in the yard. And the only reason, listen, I'm telling the truth. The only reason I did not bury that certificate in the yard is because I could not find it. <laughs> We had moved a couple times, and, and I'm telling you, before Jesus, I don't know where it is to this day, okay? Be and, and what I have learned since then is that anyone, anyone who wants to glory in that title, you got no idea what you're, what you're wanting, what you're putting your hope in. It was a bad hope. It was not the right kind of hope. 
There was another season in my life where I, I really wanted something. I really hoped for that. I really wanted apps. I know, I know. <laughs> this is great therapy for me, you know. I really wanted apps. I was kind of like brought up in the husky department, you know. I don't have the genetics for that, but I believed I could, I could, I could fly. I could do it. And you know what? I did it. I did it. I'm not talking about, you know, the guy who's got like the subtle four-pack in the right light. You know what I'm talking about? He's like, look, there they are. There they are. You can see them. You know, like I did it, okay, for about 24 hours. I had it. Then I realized something. I realized you got to maintain this. And this is not like, this takes 24 hours a day to maintain this. I can't maintain this. I'm fighting against bad genes on this thing, you know. And, and all of a sudden, that thing that I hoped for, I, I'm hoping that, that this is going to be so cool. I can't wait. I just want to feel like, I want to know what that hope had earthanol in it. It had a lot of earthanol in it. It was a hope that didn't last. This is unrealistic. This is downright stupid, this whole thing. I remember... I remember when Georgia and I first got married, when Georgia and I first got married, we made uh, our net or our gross income the first year that we were married was $12,000. We were kids. We didn't know how to tie our shoes yet. And we just got married. We've been dancing on minefields for 20 years. And I remember making $12,000 a year. The second year, we made $14,000 a year. And I remember being like, being like, wouldn't it be so cool if we were like one of those couples that made like $80,000 a year. Can you imagine like what that would be like? And you're thinking about this, like eight, what you do with $80,000? Well, time goes by, opportunities open. We move from upstate rural New York to downstate ritual New York. And I get a couple of good jobs. I land a, a pretty good position working in a union in New York City. And sure enough, the year came that I cleared $80,000 gross income. And you know what I learned when I made $80,000 gross income? It feels exactly the same as when I earned $12,000 gross income. See, my hope is that it will lessen the intensity at which I have to move in order to make things happen. But it didn't lessen that intensity at all. And thank God I had the ability to sit back and say, hey, wait a minute, this is a trap. This is a lie. Listen, if you make $180,000 a year, guess what? You might have a bigger room to think about it in, but your life is just as intense as it was when you made 80 or 12. See, when there's earth in the hope, it's going to fail. It's going to fall. It's not going to last because there's nothing abiding. You are not going to find something on this planet that will satisfy you. I'm sorry to give you the bad news because it doesn't exist. You will get it and then you will be disappointed because it didn't do for you what you thought it was going to do for you. You don't actually escape what you're trying to get away from when you get where you're going. And for me, in every situation of my life where I put my hope in something in this earth, I did not gain what I thought I would or it was not what I thought it would be to have what I thought I would get. Everything or anything that you want in this life is going to cost you something to get it. But what do you do when you give up something that you can't get back for something you find out you don't really want? If it doesn't last, 
it has no value. Zero. None. None. I have the privilege in my position of being on the deathbed of people as they pass from this life into the next. And it's an interesting thing to see the perspective that someone has as they stand on the precipice of eternity and they look back over their life, whether they do it with their words or whether they just do it with their countenance, and they can see very clearly what they put their hope in, what they invested their life in, and they're standing on the edge of realizing that nothing in this life lasts. Abraham had the ability to put his hope in something that was beyond the borders of this world. And what that produced for him was a quality of life that was so steady and so satisfying, even though he had yet to see the fulfillment of the thing that he greatly desired. The Bible says that the hope that he had was to him an anchor. I want you to look at it. It's Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 13, because the Bible actually calls it that. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. It's just a few pages back from where we are right now. And listen to what God says uh, about Abraham. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, that's hope, the endurance, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation or contract in modern language is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability or the unchangeableness of his counsel, he confirmed it by an oath. Now, hold on, pause, let me untie that for you. What it basically says in a nutshell is that God gave Abraham a promise He gave him a word. He said, this is what I'm going to do with your life. Your life is going to make a difference. Your life has a purpose. You're going to accomplish much. It's never going to stop. The ripple effects are going to go on and on and on for all of eternity. That's the promise that I'm making to you right now, Abraham. Then God, after giving him the promise, then God made an oath or a contract with Abraham so that Abraham would stop saying, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And God said, okay, stop. Let's do this. And and I'm paraphrasing for time, okay? But basically, you can read about it in Genesis 15. Genesis what? Okay, God said this. Abraham, I want you to draw up a contract. Draw up a contract. And I'm going to sign it. And you're going to sign it. And then God said, now fill out the contract, and now you just wait. And so Abraham waited. And the birds came, and they tried to eat the contract. And they tried to tear it up. And he drove the birds away. And he tried everything he could to preserve the contract. This is my promise from God. I'm going to protect it. Get away. And he tried everything. And then finally, he couldn't keep his eyes open anymore. And Abraham fell asleep. And when he woke up, actually in his sleep, he saw it. He saw a burning lamp and a fire come and pass over that contract. And when he woke up, his line where he had to sign was X'd out. He didn't have to sign it at all. And God signed his name on the dotted line. And he said, this is what I'm going to do for you. It's an oath that I am going to perform. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with my promise, my power, and my ability to perform that which I said. And when Abraham took the promise of God and the oath of his covenant, for you and I, it's the promise of God and the oath of the cross. Jesus doing on our behalf what we could not do on our own. When Jesus went to the cross... 
When Abraham had that contract, listen to what Hebrews says, verse 18 of chapter 6. It says that by two immutable things that it was impossible for God to lie, that we have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. See, the word plus the contract produced hope. The word plus the cross of Jesus Christ, God willing to show unto us the heirs of salvation, the immutability of his counsel, he confirmed it by the oath, the oath of the cross, wherein through it we might have hope. Watch this, verse 19, here it is. This is our verse. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil. Do you hear what it says about hope? It says that it's an anchor. It's an anchor for the soul. The hope that we have, not in what this world promises to give us, but in the hope of his promise of what is to come, in that there is an anchor for us. And that's how it works. The word plus the cross equals hope, which is an anchor. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says this. It says this, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Now, I know someone, if you're listening to me still, you're like, I don't glory in my tribulations. You will, just a second. Knowing why, that tribulation works patience, patience works experience, and experience works hope. And there goes my sermon. Oh boy, I hope that's not important. <laughs> that means God's saying, end it. End it now. End it. It's 43 minutes into this thing. You're going to lose everybody. I will listen to you, Father. It says, verse 5, that hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Listen to what he's saying there. He's saying, listen, that when you have a tribulation in your life, that's an agitation. How many in here know what an agitation is in your life? Okay, I haven't lost you totally yet. You have an agitation? Agitation has a byproduct. You know what it is? It's inquisition. See, once you have an agitation, you begin to ask the question, why do I feel this way? Why is this happening to me? Why is this going on in my life? There's an inquisition. After inquisition, there's an observation. Okay, you begin to watch what's going on in your life. See, tribulation works patience. Agitation works inquisition. Okay, patience works experience. Experience is observation. You begin to look at your life. And as you go through trials and you watch the resolution of those trials and you see God work for good, what Satan meant for evil, and that happens over and over and over and over again, patience where it's experience and what's the outcome of that is hope, consolation. Do you understand? Tribulation, agitation, creates inquisition, which leads to observation, which leads to consolation. It's an anchor. Do you understand? It's hope. It's hope. God, you keep turning it to good. You keep showing your hands strong. You keep working it out. That's the power of God. I ask you this question tonight. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? If your hope is in anything on this earth, then you do not have an anchor. 
And you will be continually disappointed by life over and over and over again. You have no foundation and you will end up hopeless. The young person who cannot wait until they can drive and they put all their hope into that stage of life where they can then go out on their own and they put their hope in that. And then they go out and they do it. And, well, this didn't do what I thought it was going to do. It was fun for a little while, but that, that's just because I've got the next thing. I can't wait till I get married and start my own life and make my own money. It's going to be great. You put your hope in it. And then you get there and you go, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Listen, you will just keep pushing your hope forward down an earthly road and you'll have a series of disappointments until you come to the point where you are literally, literally saying, I hope I get a good hospice nurse I hope I get good drugs. I hope, you know, and you will hope yourself right into the grave with a series of hopes that did not produce and disappointments on the other side. If your hope is in anything on this, listen, Jeff Bezos, he's the richest man in the world. He cheated on his wife. He wasn't satisfied. He didn't use Amazon. He is Amazon. And he wasn't satisfied. He's not satisfied. Abraham sought for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Everything that God has placed into your life, every experience that he's allowed you to have, every situation that he has put you in, every gift, ability, talent, and desire that you have written in the depths of your soul, God will continue to develop and use beyond the borders of this life, and it will realize its full expression in eternity, not in now. And to look beyond the borders of this world and to put your hope in that which is to come is to, like Abraham, come to the place where you realize that the way that I will accomplish the most and change the most lives and be the most productive and die old and satisfied and full of years with an anchor in my emotional stability, even if I don't get what I thought I was going to get out of this life, that is a win. It's when we put our hope in things to come. There are some of you that are here tonight that your hope is on the brink of failing and you're going to make a decision based upon what you're feeling because of the failure of your hope even right now. I would encourage you not to do that. You're thinking about giving up the things that are the most valuable in your life right now for the sake of something that you'll experience or obtain on the other side of that, and you are going to give away the most valuable things that you have in order to get nothing back. Nothing. The thing that you hate the most in your life right now is probably the seed of the greatest blessing that's yet to come in your future. Hold on to the hope of God. God calls himself the God of all hope, and he gives hope in the most unexpected ways. There was a time when I was working in the city. I remember the moment. I was on the roof of the AMC movie theater in Times Square, right next to the Wax Museum. If you've been on 42nd Street near Times Square, you know exactly where I'm talking about. And I was on the roof. I was working, and I was going through hell in my life and in my relationship with God. And I remember being so angry with God because I felt like he lied to me. I felt like he deceived me. I felt like I wasted my, my life giving my life to him, you know? 
And so, so I remember, I was on that roof, and it was all gravel, all rocks and gravel on the, on the gravel roof. And I was pacing. I had my hard hat on. I had knee pads on. They smelled like pee because I had to kneel and pee in order to do what I was supposed to do up there. And I was angry. I was angry. And I was so angry. And I was out loud by myself, thank God. I was saying, God. I said, you lied to me. God. I sa- and I said this. I said, God, if you were here right now, I would fight you. I would fight you, you know, and I I was so angry. And then I got even madder because then I said, God, that's not fair because I can't fight you and win. You can't beat God. You can't fight God and win. And I was just frustrated. I felt so defeated and so lost. So I finished my day of work and I went home, you know, and and I came back and I had to work there for a couple of days. A couple of days later, I was in the same exact spot. I was on top of the roof, AMC Movie Theater, Times Square, walking on that same gravel, same exact place. And I was listening in my ears to through the Bible, just the Bible being read through the Bible. I'd been going through it little by little. I was in the book of Job and I was listening to the book of Job and it came to the book of Job chapter nine. You can read it on your own. What chapter? Chapter Nine verses one through four. Do you know what Job said to God? Job basically said, God, if you were here, I'd fight you. (laughs) And then he said, but that's not fair because you can't fight God and win. He said what I said, only I didn't know that he had said that. And what happened in me at that moment is my heart was flooded with more hope than I ever knew could exist in in the world. Because what it was like for me, it was like, it was like being caught in a thorny thicket where you're just stuck and left to die and thinking that you were led so astray and you're just gone from the path, you're lost forever. And it's like looking down at the ground and seeing a footprint that says Job. And I just realized like, I'm not the first person that's ever been in this place. I'm not the first person that's ever felt like this. And it was like God whispered in my ear and he said, you're right on schedule. (laughs) See, God will give you hope when you don't know that hope can be had. So where are you putting your hope? I'd ask you to stand with me right now because I want to pray for you and I want to pray for us. And Father, I ask you right now in the name of your son, Jesus, as you call yourself the God of all hope, as you reveal to us this potent and powerful substance that you've put before us, And I want to ask you tonight, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would lift our eyes off of the things of this world, that you would take our hope off of something that we hope to experience in the here and now, and that you would give us the kind of vision that we need to see beyond the borders of this world and to place our hope only in you, in your promise, in your cross, and in that which is to come. So fill us now, Lord, with your Holy Spirit in a fresh way. Open up our eyes, God. Open up our ears. Open our understanding. We look to you, Lord. Fill us now. Focus us now. Help us now. In Jesus' name. I love this song that we're going to close with. It's called Blessed Assurance. That's been found in him. Not the one you're thinking of. It's even better. So sing, sing it to the Lord in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. 
We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.